Welcome to Menu Stories. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. In this episode, we meet someone who's not only behind the restaurants and the food we love, but behind the equipment that's behind the restaurants and food we love. Lisa Fetterman, co-founder of Namiku, a small but powerful handheld sous vide device. Sous vide, a cooking technique where you cook vacuum-sealed food in water, has become increasingly popular in fine dining kitchens over the past few decades. We even heard Chef Adam Keogh of Absinthe talk about a sous vide pork belly dish in episode 6. Namiku makes it easy to prepare dishes with the sous vide technique right in your own home. But this tiny device is also replacing some of its monstrously sized predecessors in some of the best kitchens in the world. Restaurant at Meadowood, Noma in Copenhagen, Saison in San Francisco, you get the idea. Lisa is relentless and she and her co-founder, who also happens to be her husband, Abe, went through some trying times just to get Namiku off the ground. And then I was like, hey, I got an idea. This is a great idea. All right, listen, sell a kidney in America and then come back with the money to finish the prototype. Let's meet Lisa and have a listen. So Namiku is a easy and convenient way for you to eat whatever you want. Like, um, have you ever just watched a TV show like Top Chef and then you hankered after those dishes? You know that they like glorify later, the like, master shot. Mm-hmm. Of it. Like right. now you can make that in your own home. All you do is put your food inside of a bag, put it inside the water, <laughs> walk away and come back to a world class meal. Our machine is a temperature control device that helps you cook perfectly. You cannot overcook with our machine. And it's called sous vide is the technique, right? That's right. The, the technique is called sous vide, but it's a misnomer. Sous vide in French means under vacuum. Mm-hmm. And the under vacuum part is not as important as the temperature control part. You mm. do have to submerge your food in water because water is the best conductor of heat. Mm-hmm. But you don't need a vacuum sealer per se. You can just put your food inside of a regular zip bag, put it inside the water up to the seal, and the barometric pressure of the water will push out all of that air. And you seal it. It's done. And when you say best conductor of heat, you mean most even? Or what do you mean when you say that? Correct. Most even. Mm-hmm. Like it can touch every part of your food. Got it. Interesting. And so as the CEO and co-founder, what made you want to start Namiku? <laughs> Did I say that right now? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to start working on Namiku well, I, when I was getting my undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. Um, all I wanted to do was work for my heroes, the chefs that I loved in New York, Mario Batali, Jean-Georges. And I went there and I begged for jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and they let me in. And what I noticed at every single Michelin-starred restaurant is that we would have this huge hulking piece of laboratory of equipment that was really hard to use. I mean, like, you even had to have a certificate to use it. Mm-hmm. And it cooked, like, 75% of our food. I was like, how is this possible mm-hmm. that nobody else knows about this? And it controls temperature, right, to the 0.1 degree Celsius. Mm-hmm. Ever since the dawn of fire, We've been trying to control it in the kitchen. Seriously, whether it's your Viking range or your copper pots, all these tools that we have in our kitchen are used to control heat because heat is a secret ingredient in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I became obsessed. I was like, this needs to be accessible to everybody at home. 
Were you a cook or what were you doing in the kitchens? I was front of house Mm -hmm. and then I, you know, occasionally they would pull me back Mm -hmm. and it would be the the best. (laughs) What did you love about it? I love the fast pacedness. Mm -hmm. I love the camaraderie. It's like you get so tight with people so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also so romantic. You are in your own little world where you can create things and have feedback instantly, like Mm -hmm. theater. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I've noticed very much so that art and cooking and, you know, producing food in restaurants is very much an art. And it's been interesting, too, to discover how many chefs actually have a background in art. So that's been kind of an interesting theme, too. But yeah, I I could definitely imagine how it's similar to theater or stand-up comedy or something like that, a performance art, where you do get that feedback right away. Um, What were some of the restaurants where you worked? I worked at Jean-Georges, at Mm Jean-Georges, in the Trump Tower. I worked at Babo, Mm -hmm. worked at Saison here in San Francisco, Uh and various other restaurants. Yeah, so (laughs) you definitely got exposure to the fine dining kind of cooking and kitchen experience, so. I love fine dining. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't, right? <laughs> so so what took you from that? So you started seeing that the vast majority of dishes were being prepared in this sous vide technique with this sort of industrial version of the machine. What happened from there? Well, I went on a date with a plasma physicist. <laughs> okay. Yeah, not very many people can say that. And I looked up what he did on Wikipedia, <laughs> spat it back out at him at the day, and he was like, mm, yeah, okay. Are you into food? I was like, yeah. He's like, do you know who David Chang is? I'm like, do I? <laughs> Let me show you the world, okay? And I was talking to him about my restaurant experience, just like I am to you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, have you ever heard of sous vide? And he was like, oh, yeah, I have. And he's like, uh, if, me, if you're interested, I could make one for you. Ah, that's very romantic. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, hot damn. <laughs> That's awesome. So he made one for me. And then, of course, like we make one for all our friends because I taste the food that we make. Mm-hmm. And at like 57 degrees Celsius, the fat and the collagen melts into a piece of steak, wow. effectively marbling it like Wagyu. Mm-hmm. Totally blew our minds. We gave to all our friends. We uh, chatted up random people on Twitter. Like there's a cheesemonger that we still keep in touch with today <laughs> named Yoav. And we made him a ch- digital cheese vat. And from there, we made DIY open source sous vide kits. And we sold hundreds of these at makerspaces across the country. How do you, so when you say open source sous vide kits, you mean you just give them all the components and make it easy for them to put it together and create one themselves? That's right. Mm -hmm. And what it was, was it was a PCB board with a housing around it. You would have to hack into a piece of kitchen equipment that already had a heater Mm -hmm. and then attached to it. So you went from having your friends and sort of this small group of of people that got word of mouth about this product that you guys were making. Um, What were you doing in the meantime? What was, were you still in school or... Were you in college or what was your day-to-day like at that point? I met him when I was 22. So I had just come out of college Mm -hmm. uh, and my day-to-day life was working in restaurants or in journalism. My undergraduate degree is is in journalism from the Arthur L. Carter School of Journalism at NYU. Mm -hmm. I triple majored at NYU in journalism, metropolitan studies, and American studies. A triple major, no big deal. (laughs) (laughs) MBD, you know. (laughs) Was was Asian. <laughs> Still is Asian. I guess if you're doing liberal arts, that means you have to do three degrees, right? Right. That's <laughs> That was my punishment. 
<laughs> so, so you're working in journalism. So it must have been a lot of long hours, mm. restaurant working, doing journalism work, plus managing this sort of side project. An insane amount of long hours for very, very little pay, which is exactly what I needed to build myself up. What do you mean when you say that? To learn how to survive on very little. Mm-hmm. I needed to like start from the bottom, start from zero. What took you from that to being here with 10 people in your own office out in San Francisco? I am. This is like the dream. (laughs) (laughs) It is my dream come true, which is why I'm so happy. Like people are like, Lisa, you're always on. I'm like, dude, my life rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We, well, we started in our Lower East Kitchen apartment. Uh, We called the company Lower East Kitchen. And Abe got a job at LightSail in San Francisco which is why we moved. And so once you got out here, what did you do with Eastside Kitchen? Lower Eastside Kitchen was just, you know, a weekend project. Mm-hmm. We would go to hackerspaces. Uh, we would keep teaching, but we really didn't have any plans for it until we saw that we could go to China. But it wasn't until that I got a job at Saison mm-hmm. full time and Abe started missing me. Like, you know, we were like two ships in the night. He would go to work in the morning. I would go to work at night and we would never see each other. And he was like, you know, we should just quit our jobs and move to China and see if we could build this. Wow. And so we did. And we went into the most debt I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> creating our prototype to the point where like I remember I was sitting at a train station and eating a piece of like I don't even know what I was eating because it tasted like nothing in my mouth and I was waiting for the the train to take me back to my apartment in China with Abe and I just let two trains pass by both Abe and I because we were just like depressed like how do we get money now and then I was like hey I got an idea this is a great idea all right listen sell a kidney and (laughs) America and then come back with the money to finish the prototype so Abe looked at me and he was like no (laughs) we are getting another credit card and we're going on vacation in Thailand so we'd go to Thailand a good decision to do when you're in debt (laughs) I guess it's better than selling a kidney he he knew how to cheer me up Mm -hmm. so we went to Thailand and we met with our friend who we met at makerspace Mm -hmm. at a class that we taught we knew him as a chef He's classically trained from the FCI. He worked mm-hmm. at Fatty Crab. His name is Bam. Mm-hmm. And we told him all about our project. He looked at us and he was like, hey, did you know that I have an industrial design degree from RISD? And we're like, what? <laughs> at the end of the vacation, we took him back to China as our third co-founder. And we finished a prototype one week before our wedding. And we flew back to Brooklyn, where our wedding was taking place at the Botanical Gardens, and we begged our wedding videographers, please, 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 can you help us make a Kickstarter video? We put it on Kickstarter, and it becomes the number one most funded project in our category at the time. And to date, from two projects, we've raised over $1.3 on Kickstarter. Wow, that's incredible. What a good story. So is Bam still with uh, the company? Is he yes. out here? He's in Thailand. He's a Thai national. We have a hard time with his visa. Yeah, I can imagine. So are you still doing most of the production in China uh, with the parts and you assemble them here? Or how does that work? With our first Namiku, we lived next to our factory. Oh, wow. Yeah, and we would go in there every day. When Chinese New Year happened, we would sit on the line and assemble these units ourselves. Because everyone was celebrating and off. Wow. That's pretty incredible. We learned all about manufacturing with our first version. And now for our second version, we took a year to do um, 
to do DFM, design for manufacturing, mm-hmm. to do a lot of R&D. Mm-hmm. And we've lowered the part count to a very minimal amount mm-hmm. so that you can just click it together. And we're manufacturing right here in the factory that we're sitting in. <laughs> Which is also your beautiful sunny office in what looks like it might have been a garage at one point. But you guys have decorated it, so it's hard to imagine that that's what it was. Thank you. <laughs> I only know that because every other company and business on the street is a mechanics shop and a garage. (laughs) And then there's you guys with a little tiny Namiku sign out front. (laughs) We're the first ones to bring high-tech manufacturing back to San Francisco City. Really? Yeah. um, Do you know anybody else that's doing high-tech connected Internet of Things manufacturing in San Francisco? Um, I am not the person to ask. I have have no idea about what's going on in hardware. But no, I do not. So as far as I know, that Mm. is accurate. We'll we'll spread that rumor on this podcast. (laughs) Um, So how long ago was all this taking place? Met Abe in 2011, Mm -hmm. went to China in 2012, met Bam in like in early 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, Shipped. Our first unit in 2013, October, which is really easy to remember because it's also the birth month of my son. We shipped right before he was born. I wow. Don't, he was not coming out until we shipped <laughs> the first Namiku. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. So you gave birth to your first child right after the first shipment of the first version of Namiku. What was that like? Uh, I was so relieved <laughs> that it happened after we shipped. And right. I had a... I had a home birth mm-hmm. because I need to be in control. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it, was very, it was very nice. And immediately, my mother-in-law came to live with us. And she still lives with us. That's how I can do what I do. That's actually, that sounds pretty perfect, assuming she's great. <laughs> she's great. She's great. <laughs> Never leave, Deb. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people share that. And people are I mean, you got to wonder, how does she do it? And my answer is, I have help right. from my family. It could come from your family. It could come from your checkbook. Right. And a lot of people don't have the kind of checkbook, especially if you're a new startup. It's hard to have that. So you've got a child, a young company. You're still relatively newlyweds. That's amazing. And you're the CEO of this, this startup that's growing pretty quickly. Um, I'm curious... So you have a relationship and a connection with the restaurant world. So how do you see these home cooking sous vide machines complementing the restaurant world and in that environment? I see my machines in fine dining. Saison, Restaurant of Meadowood, Coxcomb, Alta, Coqueta, Noma in Copenhagen. Wow. They're actually using they're, them. They're there. They're using them. Wow. That's pretty incredible. So you're basically a smaller version of that giant machine that you were seeing that's it's, on par. It's exactly results. what it is. And we heat up water so fast because we have a heater that's mm-hmm. called a PTC heater. Mm-hmm. I mean, my husband's a rocket scientist and he's my CTO too. So it's like, imagine if Tony Stark made a kitchen appliance. Right. It's the most sophisticated piece of technology you probably have in your house. Right. That's pretty incredible. So do you have different versions for the fine dining kitchens and the home cook, or is it the same thing? It's the same because it comes from a fine dining background. So so what is the process like? So I have actually never used a sous vide machine. Can you walk me through what the process is of how you sous vide something? With an Amiku, you just clip it to any pot that you already own. Mm-hmm. Like 
we i think this is why chefs are attracted to us because we don't take up more real estate you know it's just like whatever you have clip it onto a pot you already own fill it up with water put your ingredients inside of a bag either a vacuum bag or a zip bag seal it accordingly and then put it in the water and walk away (laughs) (laughs) there's a touch screen it's resistive touch which means that you have to actually like really press down onto it Mm -hmm. and we made that feature because of our fine dining background we know that in the kitchen you're wearing gloves Mm -hmm. or you have hands that are greasy you need to really work the equipment around you and i have had so many times where i had to use my elbow Mm -hmm. or something or my god forbid my mouth to turn a knob or something (laughs) (laughs) so this is you can just use your hands no matter how greasy or gloved so you guys really thought through all the, the usability of everything and you obviously had the right background for that why did you become fascinated with the restaurant world and what was it about the chefs that drew you to wanting to work for the restaurant industry you can be so creative with food and food is one of those things that you can be even more creative with when you have restrictions which blew my mind that's where in america we have so much abundance and the food just doesn't taste as good as cultures which had restrictions on how much protein they had, on the access to their ingredients. And it's just such an amazing challenge as well as a creative endeavor. It's like, it's math, it's writing, it's storytelling all in one. It's all the things that I want in my life. (laughs) And plus it's like, goes in the mouth. (laughs) I I like to eat yum yum. (laughs) What are some examples of food culture and, um, you know, foods and specific cuisines that really drew you to that, that really have impressed you? Well, I grew up in China Mm -hmm. and every single region of China has their own specialty, depending Mm -hmm. on what grows there. Mm -hmm. I'm from the north of China where wheat is huge, dumplings, um, mantou, Mm -hmm. steamed bread. And then you go to Sichuan and it's like, whoa, completely different. Mm -hmm. And then you go far to the far left corner of China and their specialty is rice and they have a lot of like rice noodles that I've never tasted or you go to like near Tibet and there's yak butter right it just that completely internalized it for me how restrictions make food even better the culture around it I mean food also okay another reason I love you you were laughing at you know putting it in the mouth and really the only thing that's more intimate then sex is food because at what other time do you put something inside of your body? That's and really fine. so many freaking people are just like, oh, I don't like to cook. And I just get so sad inside my heart. And I'm just like, dude, not knowing how to cook is like not knowing how to make love. Because are you paying attention? Something is going inside your body right now. Hello. Hello. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so true. I mean, it is very sensual. And I think, you know, that's probably also a big reason why people go on first dates to dinner. And so for you, looking back on the journey so far, what's been the most um, challenging thing? What's been the most challenging thing you've had to overcome? I'm still overcoming one of the biggest challenges, which is getting the word out. It's like the other day, We're talking about having like a secret sale. And then I was like, all our sales are secret. (laughs) Nobody knows who we are. 
Yeah, there's, um, that's the ultimate challenge, right, with a startup. But, I mean, it's funny because, like, you've definitely gotten more traction than I think a lot of startups have at this stage, you know, and you've been at it for a few years, and that's really still nothing in the long run. But in this world, and especially in this region, in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, a couple years seems like, wow, I can't believe you've been doing it that long. But it's really not that long, and that's how long it takes to, especially with something that's not software. Um, it really does take that long to develop and produce and get something started from nothing. To get on their radar. Yeah. And then on top of that, once you actually have the thing, it takes at least six months or longer to get people to even remember the messaging and all that stuff. So that makes a lot of sense. So for you, what's been the most rewarding thing so far about everything that's happened? Meeting people that I freaking love. (laughs) Seriously. Like at some point you think you're going to stop making friends because you need to focus on like your family or your company. But the thing is, I've made so many new friends now because my company, because people have come out of the woodwork to support me. Right. Not even with like money or, or a claim. Right. <laughs> just like, I'm just really into them because yeah. they're into me. Right. And in a perfect world, all of my competitors would be my best friends too. <laughs> Why why do you say that? Because we're we're all after the same thing. Mm -hmm. The same thing. And like they they want sous vide at home as well. I'm like, yeah, come on. Let's (laughs) do this. Conquer the world. Yeah, it it is. Okay, so Harold McGee is one of my heroes. And recently I had a talk with him. And he said to me, you know, we really take for granted so many of the kitchen tools that we have. But at one point they had to make their way. And we had to discover them and learn how to use them. And for your generation, my generation, temperature control is that thing. And that through us, it's with our Namiku. Mm-hmm. Like this is the game changer of our generation in the kitchen. And to be like, to be at the helm of that, just like, I can, I can feel all my atoms shaking. So why is it a game changer besides the fact that it makes food taste so good? Is there is there anything else about it that sort of... Why are there people that are so passionate about sous vide? So many different reasons. Like for mixologists, it's to make their own... It's to make their own blend of liqueurs. For cheesemongers, it's to make cheeses that they've never... That have never existed in the world before mm-hmm. because of this precise temperature control. For fitness freaks, it's because they can portion out their meals ahead of time, pre-cook everything, and have everything cook at a low temperature so the vitamins and minerals don't leach out of the food. Hmm. And you can meal plan so easily. For me, when I was a new mom, it was reheating my breast milk to my body temperature for my baby. Wow. My exact body temperature. Without having to deal with a pan and not burning the milk and all that stuff. That's impressive. Um, what are some other kind of weird use cases that you've come across that you were surprised by? Making ricotta, beer brewing, quick pickling, tie-dye t-shirts. <laughs> what? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, tie-dye would take like overnight and with precise temperature application, you would have it done in an hour. Incredible. So what's next for you guys? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to meeting more awesome chefs that are that I've always looked up to. Mm-hmm. Like recently I met Jose Andres and I was like, blah, Jose, oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like I'm an, I chose to be an American citizen too. And, <laughs> uh, and I, I love your restaurants. And, you know, he cooks his onion. I have a, I have a vegetarian friend in DC. He took me to a Jose Andres restaurant and there's this one tapas dish where it's just basically an onion poached in olive oil 
with blue cheese on top and i was like what the hell is this onions and blue cheese together i took one i like pressed my fork into it and it enveloped the fork and i put it in my mouth it was the sweetest most deep robust flavor i've ever had in my life and i dream about that onion and blue cheese dish where can we get that <sighs> in dc oh Whoa. dang oh. I'll, I'll, I'll put the recipe up on eat tender it's the sous vide community it's like our the thingiverse for sous vide people all right well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and where can we buy a Namiku if we want one? You can buy a Namiku on namiku.com, N-O-M-I-K-U.com. And we're also on Amazon. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thanks for talking with us. Learn more about Namiku and Cooking Tender at namiku.com and, of course, on menustories.com. Have you ever tried sous vide or used Namiku? Let me know on Twitter. The Menu Stories handle is at menu underscore stories. Our next episode is episode 10, an exciting milestone. And we have the best guest, Chef Anthony Strong of Delfina Restaurant Group, the group behind the San Francisco classic set of restaurants, Pizzeria Delfina, Locanda, and of course, Delfina itself. Don't miss it. Subscribe to our newsletter on menustories.com to get the next episode delivered to your inbox. And be sure to find Menu Stories on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, happy eating.